This is Cade Massey, practice professor at the Wharton School. In this week's Wharton Moneyball highlights, we talked to Seth Partnow. Seth is with StatsBomb. He's also a writer. He's author of the book, The Midrange Theory. He's one of the top basketball analysts out there. And we got to spend some time with him talking about the first round of the NBA playoffs, some good insight on the teams and some strategy and some players. Seth Partnow. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome. Welcome to Wharton Moneyball. Welcome to two hours of sports analytics here on SiriusXM. This is Cade Massey with the whole crew. Adi Weiner is here. Shane Jensen is here. Eric Bradlow is here. We're coming to you from Zoom on a Tuesday afternoon. We have today, delightfully, Seth Partnow. Seth is a longtime friend of the show. And this time of year, we're ever more interested in talking to Seth because he's about as good on basketball as there is. Seth is the director of North American Sports at StatsBomb. Relatively new position, maybe last year or so at StatsBomb moves into North America. Seth, Seth gets the, the job heading up their new front here, which is exciting. He writes for The Athletic. He has a book called The Midrange Theory, great look on basketball and the role of analytics in basketball. Seth has worked inside the building. He's been on an NBA team, director of basketball research for the Bucks, a team that might come up in today's conversation. Seth, always good to see you. Thanks for making time. Absolutely. Uh, it's always fun to be back. Well, um, look, it's a busy time of year for you people who pay a lot of attention to basketball. It's a busy time of year just for sports fans in general. And so far, even though it's only the first round, the games sure haven't been disappointing on both, on both fronts. With with you, we'll talk basketball. What, what, uh, what are you thinking about as you're sitting here on a Tuesday afternoon about halfway through the first round, a little later than that through the first round of games, still probably basking in the glow of last night's games, I'm guessing. What are you thinking about today? Um, part of what I'm thinking about is I don't remember if it's the, the days do tend to run together during the playoffs. Uh, a couple of days ago, maybe Friday, uh, after a particularly bad night's slate of games, I, I was opining about how the first round has been disappointing. And basically since then, uh, it has basically been uh, an, an adrenaline injection. Yeah. Uh, basically every game has been like, even games that weren't particularly competitive, there's been something weird that's happened, whether it's been, uh, unfortunately, uh, the officiating has come under a lot of scrutiny, uh, more because of, of kind of flagrant fouls, ejections, when those have and have not happened. Mm-hmm. But the games themselves have been, uh, I don't know if it's a technical term, but bonkers. The games have been bonkers. <laughs> well, let's start with the fact that um, we don't always expect those first rounds to be that competitive. I mean, this should be the least competitive round, right? And we talk about how predictable basketball playoffs are. And even though we acknowledge that, especially the West was more open than usual, we still kind of thought, well, here's the NBA playoffs. It'll be predictable, especially early. And then we're not getting that. I do want to note that we talk a fair bit about tournament design on this show. And when interesting little wrinkles come up here and there, it's fun to think, think them through. And one that's probably not appreciated enough but uh, one of our friends and listeners pointed it out to me. You've all wrote and strike pointed this out. It's obvious, but but yet we hadn't talked about it. The play-in games make that early, early action super interesting. You know, you're getting 10, 9, and 8, 7, and, or whatever it is, 11, 10, 8, 9, 9 10. Um, 
those games were great. And it just, you, that you, otherwise you'd, be, you'd just be seeing eight ones and seven twos. And in general, it's an underappreciated aspect of that. And, and it connects to places. So for example, with, with uh, NCAA football going to 12 teams, some of us bemoan the top teams getting a buy because it feels like such a big advantage. Well, an upside of a top team getting the buy, you know, take the top four teams away. That makes that first round of games more competitive. So you've got five versus 12 instead of one versus 12 or whatever it would be. So we see little wrinkles like that. And, and the NBA gave us a good demonstration of that this year. I, I think so. Although you, you were sort of dismissive of the, the one versus eight in two I know. matchups. Ex-ante. Uh, but it, it yeah. seems like. Ex-ante, the, Seth. Yeah, it seems like the, the like the, the best places to start are the fact that as of right now, a seven seed and an eight seed both have three one leads. No, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible, Eric. Well, I actually thought we were going with Seth about the uh, seeding was, um, and Seth, I'd love your thoughts about this. Um, if you were going to optimally design a tournament, why would you not reseed? I mean, we're a game away from the Sixers with I'll call it fifty four wins about to play at the Celtics, and the Knicks are going to have home court against the Heat. I just want to say that again for our listeners. They do not recede in basketball, which means assuming the Celtics, Knicks, and Heat, which all have 3-1 advantages win, the Sixers at Celtics, Knicks host the Heat. Seth, from an analytics, from a fairness, from a strength of team perspective, does that bother you at all? Uh, there's a couple different questions there. One, from a fairness perspective, I've always been, and this is as a player and as an analyst, win your games. I mean, I, I you, you got into the tournaments. The teams Sixers won their games. They won more in the I regular know, but, season but, than those but, other teams, and they're beat. Yeah. And they and they swept. They swept the Nets. What do you so want I, them to do? <laughs> I I but, sense I sense a. Uh, a Direction it's not purely rational coming yes. from Eric. But, but, so I, I think that there is a this is sort of more of a narrative thing that that we sometimes we focus a little bit too much on well, they lost in the second round versus they lost in the conference finals. If it's if it's six or Celtics in the in the second round, isn't that essentially the big series anyway? And whether that happens in the second round or the third round, you know, uh at least we're sure it happens if it's in the second round. And as fans, I think we would like to see that. And um, the fact that if Miami does close out the Bucks, we're not going to get to see either the Sixers or the Celtics against the Bucks in a playoff series when we kind of wish we had. Um, so while I, I kind of understand what you're getting at, I, I have a hard time getting too worked up over that because, you know, if you win your games, you win four and seven, you move on and yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta beat four teams and, you know, play who's in front of you. So, I, and Seth, you're you're spinning out some other implications, which are now maybe you get an easier conference championship. Maybe that's nice. You're not getting crushed in that last series before you go into the title match. You know, maybe there are some knock on. No, but my only here's let me just reframe it, Seth, as well. Um, let's we don't. By the way, he haven't beaten the Bucks yet. The Bucks absolutely could still win the series. But do you agree that let's imagine they reseeded in basketball, given the Heat? may beat the Bucs, they could also possibly have beaten the Celtics. So now the Sixers won't be playing the Celtics. The Sixers could be playing the team that beat the Bucs, not that not that team. That's number one. Number two, um, I would think from an expectation perspective, 
you'd always rather have your tougher opponents go last. And let me say why. It adds uncertainty. Number one, they could get beaten. Number two, injuries. If we believe that the Celtics are ahead of the Sixers, the Sixers currently have a significant injury. Maybe the Celtics get a significant injury if they play seven or eight more games before they place the Sixers. So I would argue from a statistical perspective, I could come up with a rational argument where I'd always rather delay playing the toughest opponent. You still have to beat them at some point, but I'd rather play them later than earlier. Again, I think that that you know, luck of the draw, for lack of a better term, has it plays a role in every in every championship. I mean, injuries or the lack of injuries are always a big factor in who wins the NBA title. I will say, just hearing you talk about it, um, there is a benefit that that comes to mind, and that is uh, we talk a lot about wanting the regular season to become more important. And and in a way, some of the playoff surprises are because teams are not treating it as important. Oh, interesting. Okay. The the regular season is becoming less predictive. Well, if you want teams to treat the regular season as important, hey, let me get the highest seed. I know I'm going to play the worst seed in the second round. I yeah. regardless of who comes through, I know I'm going to get the most favorable matchup of all time. I, I I wonder if that would in fact change some of the behavior in terms of how the regular season is treated. By these, by the top teams, insofar as right now they're much more maximizing towards or attempting to maximize towards health come the start of April than necessarily where they're seated. We're seated first, second, third. We're fine. It's well, a nice no. wrinkle. It's yeah. a nice. It's a nice wrinkle, and especially given the criticism, the just criticism about the NBA NBA regular season, I would push Eric a little bit because he's being a bit of a homer on this. Eric, would you reseed? Here's the. What's the limit of your argument? Would you reseed March Madness? No, because you enjoy the variance and the noise. And it's not all about naming the best. We want some drama. We want some theater, right? Yeah, I would argue that a one-game uh, matchup is different than a seven-game series. And so by they're inherently different by design in that way. Um, also, there's the logistical challenges of March Madness, where you send four teams to a pod in a certain zone and region. But I actually like Seth's answer from an analytical perspective. Matter of fact, here I'm going to suggest something right now to Adam Silver. All I'm saying is we'll run a randomized experiment. We'll have the Western Conference do one, the Eastern Conference do another, then we'll figure this out. We'll run it for 10 years and see what happens. So, so by the way, the NHL is not re- – I mean, the NHL is is – They do. Not not receding either. They're coming through. They're playing. They play through the divisions, so it's much more meaningful that they're going to have one advance out of each of the divisions, which is interesting. It's like, it's almost a throwback. Yeah, I think it's baseball yeah. and football that recede. So, I mean, I, what I'm saying is, when you look at the NHL, there's something that's kind of pleasing in a way, even though the if I'm I'm pulling for the Leafs, that means they're going to go play the Bruins, which doesn't feel great, but. Um, you know, it's got this geographic relevance. It's got the rivalries and then one emerged from each of the four corners. And that it's just kind of a, it's a neat feature from an entertainment perspective. Okay. That's enough about tournament design. What about the games? These games last night were ridiculous. I mean, how often do we see, maybe it's more common. Maybe we forget over the years, but see individual performances elevate teams at critical moments like we did with Butler and LeBron both last night. I mean, obviously, you have a, a definitional problem of what it means to, you know, an individual performance to elevate the team. I think uh, LeBron certainly finished that game well. I, I think if you look at the whole game, um, I think it was a cast of, of a half dozen that really lifted the Lakers at different times in that game. 
you look at the other game, and yeah, it was Jimmy Butler. Uh, I think he um, kind of the most important times in the game, like the Heat needed to get off on a to a good start. The Bucks were fairly obvious. This is the the narrative how these series go. The, the Bucks were going to come out of the gate strong, and they did. And Jimmy Butler scores 22 points in the first quarter just to keep the heat in contact. And then he turns around and adds another 21 in the fourth quarter, um, including just absurd shot making down the stretch to, <laughs> to, to salt the game away largely. Aided, aided by, by his teammates. One of the, the interesting factors of this series is, uh, again, to use a, a, a highly technical term, the, the heat role players are shooting the piss out of the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, they're shooting. I, I, I looked at earlier today. I believe it's they're shooting 43 of 82 on contested three point attempts. And I can't do that math in my head, but it's well over 50%. Well, and, 41 out of 82 would be 50%. Yeah, yeah. 43 so a, out of 82 is, is about like, 4%, like, 3% yeah. higher than that. Yeah, it's about 53%. Uh, league average is about 33.5%. So that's mm-hmm. just, that's a, you know, that's, that's, six-ish extra points a game at, at, at the rate they're, they're getting them up, uh, maybe even a little more. Uh, so that's certainly contributing to it. Um, but it's also uh, Jimmy Butler. And uh, an interesting factor about this, something I've, I've, I've been noticing for like the last two years, is he's always a player who has had a couple of those games in him. Uh, you think of back to the finals when the Heat sort of unexpectedly made the finals uh, in the bubble. Uh, a couple of years ago, and they they took two games off the Lakers, who were a better team, especially after the Heat suffered some injuries. But two of the games, Jimmy Butler went crazy and and basically put them on his back and won two games. That has not been an every game thing for him until the last two years in the playoffs, where it's seemingly he's willing to every night. If I'm taking 25 shots for us to win, I'm going to do that. And I I don't know what has changed with him that has made him more willing or able to do that, but it is a, a fairly stark, you know, break between mm. the playoffs last year and this year and his entire, you know, 80, 80 game playoff career before that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the Suns and um, Clippers. Um, and then let's talk a little bit about what the Warriors are doing or not and the Kings. So give us those two series, give us a rundown on those two series and how you're thinking about the West right now. Uh, the biggest thing from the Suns Clippers series, aside from the Kawhi being injured again, which is which is sad, and I'm I am he's he's already been ruled out of Game Five again. Um, yeah. Uh, just uh, the thing that really stands out to me is I mentioned you know having that that you know that that five inner circle and five more guys. Devin Booker is a guy for Phoenix who is really looking like he might be one of those guys now. Um. He's just someone who has improved steadily over his career. And then the thing he's added so far this this season in general and this playoffs in particular is not only is he being an all-NBA level player on offense, he's being an all-NBA level player on defense while also playing 45 minutes a night. Mm-hmm. And that's that's incredibly impressive. It also helps to be in your, you know, your early mid-20s. That's something that LeBron used to do. And now that he's in his late 30s, he, not something we expect from him anymore. So that's my biggest takeaway from that series is, is maybe we're seeing the emergence of one of the kind of next or next uh, generation of, of top stars. Okay. Before we leave it, given what you're saying about that, and given that this team is really just coming together at the end of the regular season and into the playoffs, what's your assessment right now of what the potential is for the Suns? 
So they are they are traveling a hard road in that because of I, I mentioned earlier about the, the the Cavs sort of not being able to field complete lineups. Uh, the Suns have that a little bit too, but when you've got you know Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton's pretty good, and you know when he's feeling right physically, Chris Paul is still very good. You can sort of uh, you just out talent your way out of some of those sort of strategic. Um, mm-hmm. Like the Suns, the Suns don't really get great shots, but they have three or four of the best shot makers in the league. So it kind of doesn't matter at times, okay. but that's a hard way to live for four rounds. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Warriors Kings. What's going to happen with Warriors Kings? Uh, I mean, the, the, my, my sort of lifetime of basketball experience says that not being able to come up with uh, game four uh, is going to come back and bite the Kings and the Warriors win this in six. That's sort of, that said, uh, and then part of that is is also De'Aaron Fox has a broken finger on a shooting hand, which, um, you know, as I said, we said earlier, luck plays a huge role. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the the Warriors have been the best team in the NBA over the last decade. They've also had a lot of breaks that go their way, and that happens. That happens for every mm-hmm. kind of uh, dynasty that gets some things mm-hmm. to go their way. Um, it's been for a first go around in the playoffs. It's been very impressive for the Kings, but I think just that that you can see the Warriors' ability to just make those few extra plays a game, even though they they almost had a spectacular meltdown yeah. in game four themselves. Yeah. Um, kind of just enough. Keep it close. Steph Curry's going to win it at, at the end. And and they have enough guys who can do just enough. And the but, Kings you know, make But you're saying enough. the ch- chance has to fall your way, right? Because they yep. the Kings got the last shot. They had they had a decent shot off and it, it didn't it, it could have gone. Yep. They could have gone down 3 to 1 easily. Yep. Uh, Eric. No, I was just going to say the same thing you said, Cade, which is, you know, if when I look back at this postseason right now to date, that missed shot um not it wasn't by Wiggins, it was by the guy Barnes, Harrison Barnes, yeah, who used to be on the, the on the on the uh, Warriors. That's that could go down as the most impactful missed shot in the playoffs. Because if they go down three one, I think the Kings are probably not necessarily are probably winning that series. Again, since they don't reseed in basketball, you know, again, I think the Warriors win this series. They've got a favorable matchup next, maybe against the Lakers, and so that could be a favorable series. So we'll see what happens. All right. Well, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Seth, before we let you go, give us something that you're paying attention to that others may not be, or some, some, something from your corner of the world that you think might improve our basketball watching or basketball understanding right now. Oh man. Well, the the main thing is, uh, is, is, is join me and my podcast partner, Mo DeKeel on playback every night. We're watching the games and commenting along. Uh, we hopefully, hopefully we, uh, we educate you there. Um, Man, that 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 is it. You throw me a curveball there. Um, You've got a lot to offer, Seth. Anything on your yeah. mind that's going to be helpful to the rest of us? So how are what are you thinking about lately? What lens are you looking through as you watch these games? Anything new? Um, I think that that something that that this, it, it tends to come up in the playoffs every year is for a number of years, offensive rebounding was sort of eschewed by teams. Uh, this is this is actually uh, Eric um, Doc Rivers was almost at the forefront of this innovation to sort of. Uh, concede the offensive rebounds and get back on defense. I think teams have started to probably with the help of some of the, the detailed study you can do using, using tracking data uh, of figuring out when you can profitably 
kind of take risks to go to the back offensive backboard. Uh, you know, you, how, how often you need to get extra rebounds versus how often you give up transition chances. Um, and I think a lot of these series are a lot of these games are turning on the fact that even if a team might be struggling, might have offense that that is being well defended on an initial possession, they're just getting more cracks at it because the other team can't finish the defensive possession. The Knicks mm. have like a 45% offensive rebound rate in the fourth quarter of two games in that series. And it's, you know, if you basically, if you get, you know, three possessions for every two, the other team gets yeah. right. You've got some margin for error. Terrific. Okay. Seth, thanks, man. Appreciate the time. Appreciate the insight. Uh, Wish you the well with the work you're doing. You can, guys can follow him on Twitter at Seth Partnow, at Seth Partnow, or the, the handle Anchorage Man up there. Mid-Range Theory is his book. You can see his writing on 538 and some other places. And he's doing a real-time call of the games. Where can they find that again, Seth? Uh, if you go to playback.tv and search for the Nerder stream, uh, my, my podcast partner, Mo DeKeel, who's a uh, was a video coordinator in the NBA for, for a decade kind of looking at it through both an analytics and a X's and O's lens as these games go along. All right, fellas. Well, it's a fun time of year. One, I would say one of the best weeks of the year between the hockey playoffs, the basketball playoffs and the NFL draft next week, we have the Kentucky Derby. It's a pretty sweet time of year for sports. You guys enjoy that for the whole team here. Adi, Eric, Shane for Matty D the boss man, Deion Simpkins, the associate boss man. Appreciate y'all listening. Come back and join us next time between now and then enjoy your sports.